Greetings. Welcome to City Base Discipling. Glad you made it back. Did you remember the biscuits? Tonight, segment number two, I've entitled Terms of Engagement. Tonight we'll be talking about the rules that govern all Bible interpretation. We'll speak to you a bit about resources that you can use for Bible study. And we'll also give you some dangers and pitfalls to watch out for in your interpretation. But first and foremost, let's pray before we dive in. Father, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity of speaking to your people about you and about your word. Holy Spirit, would you please come and help us to hear what we need to hear and see what we need to see. Speak what we need to speak. Help us to dig in, to sit around your feet and to grow. Equip us, Lord. And Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I forbid the enemy from interfering in any way with this message, either on that side of the camera or on this side. Our Lord, bless our time together, we pray, to your glory, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Good, I heard that. By way of introduction, the rules of interpretation <coughs> exist to help protect us from error and heresy and all kinds of strange demonic doctrines. It is critical that you and I understand and correctly apply these rules very well. You only find God's truth by correctly interpreting Scripture. Mark Twain put it this way, The huge amount he doesn't understand about the Bible does not worry him. The little bit that he does understand worries him enough. You see, what you believe is what you become. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. Bible study involves six basic steps. Observe, interpret, summarize, evaluate, correlate, and apply. Each one is a separate big subject of its own. But today's talk is just about interpreting. Before we get into the four basic rules to be implied when interpreting scripture, I want to say something about figurative language and then about context. Massive churchy words. Figurative language. We find figurative language in the scriptures, in parables, in prophecies, in types and shadows and symbols and in biblical pro uh, poetry. Figurative language is basically using words to paint pictures of something else by using figurative language. 
God helps us at our level to understand something of God and his truth. Not all, but just enough for now where we're at, because we're in this process of growing from glory to glory. You see, the challenge is this. How must an infinite God explain infinite truth to finite man with a finite language? In Romans 1 verse 20, as an example, God created nature to help man understand what God is like. Nature helps us understand what God is like. I love to sit and watch the sea and see the size and the power. Where do you see God in nature? Words can be used figuratively. Pictures, as I said, to reveal something else. John chapter 7 at verse 38 says that out of our innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Wow, I'm glad that's figurative and not literal. You see, God is spirit. He's not physically limited like we are. When the Bible, for example, uses the words eyes, it's speaking about God's power to see everything, to miss nothing, ever. When the Bible speaks of, for example, the right hand of God, it means God's power to act physically in real terms here in our world. Like Isaiah 41.10, where God says, I will buttress you, reinforce you with my righteous right hand. Physically, he'll help you stand and not fall. That's amazing. We come to the word context. Context. You've often heard politicians, movie people, so forth. They will come out on TV and say, oh, but my statements or my words were taken out of context. And so therefore they mean something different. Well, the word context means all the words around the passage. It's divided into two types of context. There's immediate context and there's total context. Now to help you understand immediate context, I've drawn this, I've drawn this magnificent dartboard hope you can see it all. The immediate context is the specific word within the sentence, within the verse, within the passage, within the chapter, within the specific book of the Bible, and then within the Bible as a whole. Now, the total context is the whole Bible as a single book. The total context, the Bible as a single book, is the guide for understanding 
every other portion of the word. It's all got to be seen within context and within the context that way. The total context, the Bible as a single book, is the guide for understanding any portion of it. No strong doctrines can be proved only on one verse. One always needs to find a supporting verse, at least one supporting verse, a confirmation verse. Huge problems arise from taking scriptures out of context, just one verse, and build a whole thing on that. And so we who study the Bible will always be trying to find out the author's original meaning. What did he mean when he wrote that? And so we come now to the four basic principles, rules of Bible interpretation. I'm going to read them, list them, and then we'll come back and unpack each one. Principle number one, the literal meaning of language. Principle number two, a progressive revelation of God. Principle three, scripture interprets scripture. Principle four, the basic harmony of the whole Bible, total context. So, principle number one, the literal meaning of language. The Bible is not written in some secret code. The words have their usual normal meaning. Point number two, God wants to reveal information. He doesn't want to hide it from us. There are no hidden meanings. There is revelation. There are mysteries that we don't yet have revelation of. But there are no hidden meanings. It's not a, a trick question book. Point number three. The Bible says what it means, and it means what it says. In Mark 8, 27, the Bible says, Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi. You know what that really means? Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi. Point number four, one of the biggest dangers is that we get into mysticism, and we get all metaphysical, and we get all spooky and superstitious and scary. And we over-spiritualize the Bible. Point number five. Always take the Bible literally unless obviously figurative language is being used. Point number six. The golden rule. In this regard, always give the words their normal, usual meaning. Principle number two, a progressive revelation of God. If you go back to Genesis, <coughs> pardon me, Adam was banished from the presence of God 
and from and he lost all consciousness of God that there is a God who God is how God is what God is where God is he lost it all and he became imprisoned in his five senses sight smell touch taste feel and over the years over the centuries the Holy Spirit had to begin to reveal and restore to man consciousness of God so that he could once again reveal God to mankind and also reveal to mankind his need of a savior before a holy righteous God. And he did it in the following ways. Point number one, the nation of Israel was chosen as a living object lesson for us. We learn what they did, how they were, what they didn't do, what they did right, what they did wrong, where they failed, what happened, what do we learn from that? Point number two, special sensitive men and women were chosen over many years to be part of this progressive revelation of God to man. Moses, burning bush. He says, burning bush, when I talk to Pharaoh, who shall I say sent me? And God reveals his name, I am. And so it begins. Abraham and so forth down through the Bible. Point number three. Exodus 20, the law is given, the Ten Commandments. The minute they read these laws, they realize they've messed them all up. They've broken every single one. They're in trouble. They need a savior. They need a deliverer. They need a Messiah who will help them. Hello. Point number four. Progressively, prophets were sent to preach and teach the truth about God's truth. And point number five. Finally, in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says that in the fullness of time, God's perfect timing unfolded. He sent Jesus, who is the exact representation of himself, to earth to walk amongst us. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So finally, yeah, in the New Testament, our Redeemer God, our Deliverer, our Saving God is seen with absolute clarity. With far more clarity than he is seen in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, for example, God speaks of an eye for an eye. Whereas in the New Testament, he takes it much further and he says, no, turn the other cheek. In the Old Testament, adultery is a sin. In the New Testament, Jesus takes it further. He says, I say to you, if you even have adulterous thoughts, you've already committed adultery. There's a progressive revealing to man of God. Principle number three, scripture interprets 
scripture. Point number one. The Bible is its own best commentary. The Old Testament is shadows of the New Testament. The New Testament reveals the Old Testament. The light of the truth of God shines at its brightest in the New Testament. And yet both Old and New Testament are critically essential. Matthew 5.17, Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament, not remove it, he says. Do not make that mistake of writing the Old Testament off. There are huge lessons to be found there. Point number two, Scripture will never contradict Scripture, and neither will the Holy Spirit contradict Scripture. You always need to find at least two scriptures that say the same thing. Because one verse on its own can be very deceiving. Point number three. Do not bring your own meaning to scripture. Do not assume and presume what it means. Rather withhold your judgment until you find a confirming scripture. I encourage you, find a mentor, someone who has walked further down, longer down this road than where you're at, and ask them to walk a road with you. Do they mind if you bounce your insights of scripture off of them so that you can get clarity you can find confirming scriptures and you can be correctly established on the rock of the word of God. Point number four, do not use scriptures to prove scientific facts and opinions. Don't go down that road. Not all questions are answered in the Bible. The Bible speaks of principles by which we know we have sinned, we have fallen short, we're in trouble, we need a saviour, there is our saviour, how he lived, what we learn, what he has said, and the fact that he's coming back, how to live. It's principles, doesn't answer every question. Point number five, do not use scriptures with force to try to prove wrong somebody's opinions and notions. Do not use scripture forcefully to try and prove opinions and notions that are wrong. Point number six, the golden rule of this series. The Bible clearly says what it means and it means what it says. Principle number four, the basic harmony of the total context of the Bible as a whole, as one book. Many themes can be traced through the Bible. Love, forgiveness, sin, whatever, generosity, healing. The main one, redemption through Jesus Christ.
The Old Testament pointed to him in symbols and prophecies. Jesus concealed in the Old. And the New Testament in your face records his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his promise of coming again. Jesus revealed. All through scripture, from a single word to a sentence, to a chapter, to a passage, to a book, to the Bible as a whole, there is one system of truth being presented, one thread of truth weaves its way right through from Genesis to Revelation. And the whole system of truth must be used to interpret even the smallest part of the Bible. There you have it. Enough equipping to really get started with accurate interpretation of the Bible. Practice and you'll get better. I want to say a few words now about resources. All you need for Bible study is a Bible and the Holy Spirit. I would say a notebook and a pencil or a pen. All the other things are nice to have if available to you and if affordable. You can get a concordance, which is a magnificent book that contains every biblical word, not only what it means but where it's found in scripture how many times it's used you can find so much in a concordance there are bible dictionaries written describing the meanings of the bible words not only that but their places and names and so forth magnificent there are commentaries written by extremely well-educated theologians on parts of scripture, on specific books, on the New Testament, on the Old Testament, on the Bible as a whole. Stuff that we'll talk about next week. But I would suggest to you, no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, do yourself a favor. Go and find a, like a book for 12-year-olds, 11, 12-year-olds where the Bible stories are just told as stories. Go back and read that. I'm telling you, you will be amazed at how clogged our minds get with all this analysis paralysis. Just go back. So we'll speak more about that next week. I want to go on now to some dangers that you can encounter. Point number one, beware of false teaching. Cyberspace is riddled. Anybody can put anything on and nobody checks anything. Isaiah 8 verse 20 says, If they do not speak according to this word, it is because no light is in them. 
If you are taking notes, note down this website, www.defendinginerrancy. Inerrancy. Point number three, assuming and presuming. As I said before, don't think you, you've got it all. Share your insights with a mentor. You'll probably learn from each other. Number four, as said before, beware of over-spiritualizing. Not every verse is some deep, secret, mystical revelation. Point number five, don't expect to understand every verse. Just keep going until you find something you do understand. I tell you, I've been walking quite long with the Lord now. And there is just tons of stuff in Scripture that I don't understand. So I don't know. Point number six. One of my favorite theologians, R.T. Kendall, puts it this way. What does this verse mean? Ask a child. I love that. So we're coming to the end. What you should not do with the word. Do not read it skeptically or doubtfully. Hebrews 4.2 The word did not profit because it was not mixed with faith in the hearers. Point number two. Do not make the mistake of being ignorant of the word. Matthew 22.29 Jesus' disciples speaking about marriage in heaven. Jesus answers them, you are wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Point number three. Do not wrestle and twist the word. 2 Peter 3 from verse 14. Our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Point number four, don't argue over minor doctrines whether controversial or incontroversial. Titus 3 verse 9 on. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies. That's about ancestors and stuff. Dissensions and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. That's a scary one. Number five, don't harden your heart and despise the word. Proverbs thirteen thirteen. 
Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. But he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Zechariah 7 from verse 12. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. They brought it on themselves. There are three stories relating to the word. Matthew 4 from verse 3. Jesus, tempted by the devil, simply quotes scripture. And eventually the devil's attack is deflated and he leaves. Matthew 7 from verse 21. Man builds his house on the rock. Versus the man who builds on shifting sand. When the storms come. Which house stands? Where's your house? Matthew 13 from verse 1. The parable of the sower who sows seed on various kinds of soil and their various responses from the soil. The Bible tells us there that the word of God is that seed. My question to you, how responsive how fruitful are you to the word of God? Let's just pray. Father, as we bring this to a close now, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your compassion and your grace. I thank you that we can always start again. We can always just confess, receive forgiveness, dust ourselves off and get back in the fight. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us. And Lord, that you would give us a hunger, create a hunger in our hearts for your word and for your truth. And at the same time again, Lord, in the name above every name, I forbid the enemy from stealing a single word of truth spoken in this message. In Jesus' name. And God's people agreed and said, Amen. So we're done. Flight, flight, my story is out. Please remember to join our online service on Sunday, 9 a.m. But as for you and for me and this that we're doing, by the grace of God, I'll see you here, same time, same place, next week. I'll bring great coffee. Make sure you bring peanut butter biscuits. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week.